Uncovering your truth and fire, one conversation at a time. This is a Spitfire Podcast. Hey guys, it's your host, Lauren Lemonian, straight out of Washington, D.C. I hope you've enjoyed the Spitfire podcast as much as I have in bringing together our awesome guests and shows. If you haven't subscribed, head over to iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is you listen to podcasts on. Subscribe to the Spitfire podcast. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your Uber drivers. Spread the word of the awesomeness and you keep being awesome. We are on episode 16 of the Spitfire podcast. Today we have Kyla Garcia, who is an actor and writer. She's based in LA right now, but she is from New Jersey. She is a Rutgers alum. Don't think I didn't notice that. She is a Spitfire herself, and I saw her in the elevator. She actually lives on my floor, and I had to get her on this podcast. And we're talking about a lot of what sovereignty is about, which she's a star in right now, and about Native American rights, and about us and them. And we get really deep on this one. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. I hope you learn a lot. I did in the process. And I hope you share this with friends and family and you keep progressing the community and the connection. Enjoy episode 16 with Kyla Garcia. Hey guys, welcome to another amazing episode of the Spitfire podcast. Um, I found our guest today in the elevator, which is true. Um, There was a I think we were talking about shampoo, and my dog was obsessed with you. Yes. Uh, Kyla Garcia is here. She is the star of Sovereignty at Arena Stage. She's my temporary neighbor on my floor. Mm-hmm. She is a writer and actress. She's a Jersey girl, too, and she went to Rutgers. I mean, perfect guest for today. <laughs> so I don't know what we're going to talk about. We just had a very deep conversation about, you know, synchronicity and taking care of your family and healing the world and boundaries. So we could take this in any direction today, but thank you for joining me and and agreeing to be a guest. Cause I was like, that is a spitfire right there on the stage. I I saw you at sovereignty on opening night. So this is a very powerful story. Um, It's written from one of the first native American playwrights. Mary Catherine Nagel is the first Native American playwright to be produced at Arena Stage. It's amazing. So we are making history alongside her being a part of this production, directed by Molly Smith. Fantastic. So just a small synopsis, because I think this will probably air. When, when is the production finished at Arena Stage? We close on February 18th. Oh, so what, we're going to air when this is over. But oh. for maybe this will get picked up somewhere else. But what, yes. what's, what's the premise behind Sovereignty? Sovereignty is a story that is based on Mary Catherine Nagel's actual family history. She is the great, 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 great granddaughter of Major Ridge and John Ridge, who were two Cherokee men who signed the Treaty of New Echota, which provided the legal basis for the Trail of Tears and divided Cherokee Nation. Half of Cherokee Nation wanted to sign this treaty to preserve their jurisdiction in some way. The other half said, we can't ever sign a treaty. We can't ever give up our lands. So even to this day, it's a very controversial treaty. And Major Ridge and John Ridge are two very controversial figures in history. And we've never heard the story from their side Mm -hmm. because, sadly, they were assassinated by fellow Cherokees. They were assassinated after writing this along with a hun- after signing the treaty along with 150 members of the treaty party. So Mary Catherine Eagle has heard this story of her grandfather's assassinations her entire life, and now she gets to put it on stage. So everybody else has heard the story of John Ross, who was the elected chief of Cherokee Nation and who for a very long time worked alongside John Ridge and Major Ridge until they were divided by this choice. So they know his story, right? Because in history, we always know the story of those who live. Mm -hmm. And now MK has put the story on stage. So the play goes back and forth between the 1800s and present day. And I play a character loosely based on Mary Catherine Nagel, who is a lawyer, a Cherokee lawyer, who has just returned to Oklahoma to work for the attorney general's office. And no one knows she is a Ridge, and she's working for a Ross. So we see all the ways that history plays out in present day and how the sovereignty of Cherokee Nation and, or the loss of that sovereignty affects the sovereignty of women's bodies and specifically Sarah Ridge Polson. Yeah, it is, it is a powerful story. Um, I, I was moved the entire time, and, and usually I have the attention span of about five minutes, um, but I was captivated the entire time. Um, it was amazing the, the 
relevance of history. So even though the, the period clothing was changing, you're right there with it of, of the hard decisions and, and the trust that you put forth in people of authority and hoping that they're going to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And then the repercussions when, when you were sold a bill of lies. Absolutely. One of the most amazing things about this story is that Mary Catherine Nagel's grandfathers went to the Supreme Court and fought and won in Worcester v. Georgia in 1832. So this case is one of the most incredible cases in Cherokee history and in American history, because Cherokee history is American history. And so her grandfathers did that in the Supreme Court, and then after they won that case, they weren't honored, and President Jackson didn't enforce what the Supreme Court had ruled. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to look at the parallels then and now, because we're seeing what happens when a president doesn't listen to Congress. And even with the, the Russia sanctions that just came out and how they released a statement that we're not going to honor those mm-hmm. right now, those aren't important. And it's like, what? The Senate and the House voted what? So you watch a story like this and you think, how could that ever happen? Mm-hmm. How could a president not enforce the Supreme Court's decision? Mm-hmm. And when Andrew Jackson didn't do that, it led to the Trail of Tears and it led to genocide. So if we don't learn from that history, and if we don't know that history, history does repeat itself, and we're seeing it in tiny ways. It's starting to happen now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was amazing. Like, I, I love history, and I felt relatively, even though I was actually playing trivia crack yesterday, and it kept reminding me that history was my worst subject <laughs> at 62%, but I'm really good at trivia otherwise, so... But sidebar, um, I had no idea about this story. Um, And I was just like, wow, I want to learn more about this. Because if we don't know this, if we aren't educating children, if adults don't know about this, then how do we learn from our missteps in history? If we're only doing a partial history or we're doing, you know, the sugarcoating of what happened. Mm -hmm. So in playing such a pivotal part of this story... What were your big aha moments or kind of takeaways from playing this character? I was right on board with what you're saying. I I started thinking about our history books, playing this character and learning all of this new information. I I was angry Mm -hmm. because I thought, why don't I know this? Or why wasn't this a part of my education? I remember a tiny paragraph about the Trail of Tears in my social studies Mm -hmm. book. Yeah. And... If you look in history books now, they'll say things like the Native Americans surrendered their lands Mm -hmm. to the Europeans. They will use words like surrendered or gave. Yeah. And even on monuments uh, over by the Hudson River in Jersey City, there's a monument to the the Lenape. And it's like, Mm -hmm. this is where the Lenape ceded their lands. And I'm like, the Lenape did not cede their lands. The Lenape were brutally murdered by the Dutch. Yeah. And New York City was originally Manahata, and we don't know that. Mary Catherine Eagle has written another play about that. Manahata mm-hmm. is going to be going up at Oregon Shakespeare Festival mm-hmm. this year. So that's amazing. So we're getting to reframe the narrative on stage, and hopefully as we do that, we start reframing the narrative in history books. Yeah. Because I said this in, an, in another interview because it's so poignant in my mind. and it, it, In Germany... The children are taught about World War II. Mm-hmm. It is beaten into them. Right. You know, um, I mean, not literally, but you know what I mean. It's just such a part of who they are to know and to understand mm-hmm. what World War II was, how it happened, how Germany was responsible for the Holocaust. I mean, they learn about it. Mm-hmm. And by learning about it, they feel that shame. Mm-hmm. And I think shame can be a really positive emotion. Mm-hmm. Because even as a kid, when you do something wrong and you're shamed in some way, you think, oh, I don't want to do that again, or I hurt that person's feelings, which is the reason why online bullying is so dangerous, right? I know that's a total side note. But if you say something mean to another child and you see them hurt, you see them feel pain, you think, oh, I shouldn't do that. And if you can't see them through that screen, Mm. it, it keeps going. So there's something to feeling regret and remorse yeah and german children feel that and german adults feel that when i when i've been 
traveling and I've met Germans, I can feel it. It's almost like they apologize when they meet me for being German, for the history, because mm. it's so alive in their mind. And in America, our country is built on Native American genocide and African American slavery. Mm. And yet here we are talking about how this is the best country and, and, you know, make America great again, which I don't, I mean, there's so much greatness and love in America and there's so much goodness in the American dream and how anything is possible here. But at the same time, what point are they referring to, to being great again? Because we started in this absolute bloody warfare and silencing the original inhabitants of this country. Yeah, at what cost? At what cost was the American dream won? Right. And if we don't understand that, then how do we understand the present state of Native American communities? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are many people who don't even know that Native American communities still exist. Mm -hmm. We had someone in the audience yesterday during a talkback want to know an exact number of how many Native Americans there still are in the world. Wow. Because she was unaware. Ooh. And the people that we had speaking at our panel, they were like, well, there are over 500 tribal nations Mm -hmm. in Indian country. There are over 500. So there are many Native Americans still here. We just don't hear their voices. So it's a broken system that's working exactly as it was meant to work. Mm -hmm. Because when those voices are silenced, then we don't acknowledge that this is a reality and that this community of people, we need help. They need help. Yeah. Well, we remove the human likeness. Exactly. It becomes the other. And it's not my problem if it's the other. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, it starts with bullying. Because when you see yourself as separate and you don't share the same feelings and hurts and dreams, then you can't possibly relate to someone else. And so, therefore, it doesn't impact them and it doesn't matter. Exactly. And the way Native Americans are portrayed in the media yeah. lends itself to that. There's a really great exhibit at the National Museum of the American Indian right now Mm -hmm. called The Americans, and it's a whole exhibit of natives in media, in culture, Mm -hmm. in advertising, in film, and most of the images you see of Native Americans are of the Plains Indians, right, with Mm -hmm. the headdress and the warriors, and they're used to sell things, Yeah, and it's a very archaic image that doesn't represent who Native Americans are today, Mm -hmm. that they're not this illusion, they're not this myth, it's not just Pocahontas in a Disney movie, Mm -hmm. which is so... Who was raped and forced beyond her will. I mean, when it comes down to it, Sacagawea and Pocahontas, before they were national icons, they were missing indigenous women. Mm -hmm. And there are more missing and and murdered indigenous women in this world than any other population. Mm -hmm. And even with the Me Too movement... We're not hearing any of the native stories when they are affected more than any other population by sexual harassment, by rape, by assault, by kidnapping, by murder. Yeah. So it all starts with changing the narrative and humanizing, mm-hmm. humanizing this, this group of people instead of cartoon, you know, um, what's the word? I'm stereotyping yeah. and, and turning them into cartoons of some so sort. They're like animating them in a way. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, Pocahontas, the truth of that story, the real history is that she wasn't a young woman that was the same age as John Smith. John Smith was much older and she was between the ages of nine and 11 when she met him. But nobody talks about that. And in that exhibit, the Americans, they have this video that just plays on a loop asking people questions about Pocahontas. And they're like, oh, I think of the princess, and I think of her hair. Her hair's so beautiful, and I wish my hair looked like that. And I'm watching like, wow, what? And and it's not in judgment of those people. It's in judgment of our education system and our history books. Yes, and even if you're not directly responsible. You're complacent. And you also. And complicit. and, And you benefit from it. Sure, absolutely. You benefit from it. I I mean, we all have privilege in some way, Mm -hmm. and it's so important to understand what white privilege is. I've had conversations with friends where they will say, I don't have white privilege. I I was raised with nothing. I've had to work for everything I have. And I'm like, that's not what white privilege is. We have privilege as women. Yeah. We have privilege walking down the street as a woman. The way we're treated daily, it it is a privilege. There are many things that come with being a woman Mm -hmm. that men don't ever experience and vice versa. I mean, equal pay is not one of them, (laughs) but there are many other benefits to being a woman. I have many benefits to being of mixed race 
you know, uh, to, to go in between worlds because I am of color, but my mother is entirely of European descent. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we all have parts of ourselves that we benefit from Mm -hmm. and we have to acknowledge. I often feel like I'm a mix, like in my, um, I'm a mix of these battles that used to take place on the battlefield, but now they take place in the courtroom, right? Because my mm-hmm. bloodlines are are mixed with both native blood and European blood. And I'm like, and this is what happens. This is the future of that. Yeah. So how do I honor both? Because there is good to both sides, mm-hmm. but there also needs to be responsibility. Yeah. And we have to know where we've come from to know where we're going. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the Native American narrative is missing from our conversations, it needs to stop. Yeah. It needs to stop. Or the conversation needs to start. The conversation needs to yeah. start, and the, the silence needs to stop. And those voices are speak. I mean, you asked in the beginning of the interview, you said, is she the first Native American playwright? But you knew there was a... You were like, she's the first... What's what's the history she's making? She's not the first Native American playwright. There are many Native yeah. American playwrights who are wonderful and talented and lovely. She is the first to be produced. Now, that is something to be proud of, but it is also something to... I was twice. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's like, really? That was odd to me that it took that long. Absolutely. Yeah. Because if it's 2018, and if we were hearing that, um, you know, let's say August Wilson was alive right now, and he was being produced for the first time, and he was making history as the first African-American playwright to be produced, we would be like, it's 2018. For real? (laughs) Are we celebrating this? Wait. Yeah. Why hasn't that happened yet? So I am still celebrating it, but it's also, I mean, time's up, right? Yeah. Time's up applies to so many things these days. For sure. So this is clearly something you're passionate about. At what age did you start to feel like the the inner fire and passion of like being such like a passion driver of purpose and cause? Hmm. Oh, well, I've always wanted to be an actress since I was seven years old. I, I always knew that it was something I wanted to do. I loved being able to tell stories. I loved seeing how people were moved and, and changed by a story, mm-hmm. how much power a story can have. In terms of social justice and being an artist and an activist, I feel like that was always the underlying goal mm-hmm. because I love telling stories that are important and are shifting the world in some way and stories that are just fun and still shift the world with humor because I think humor teaches us mm-hmm. in ways that tragedy can't. Um, I, I don't know when. I guess I feel like that's always been in me. Yeah. To to do something bigger and to be of service with acting. It's never been about me. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, I think it's a Stanislavski quote. I could be misquoting him, but I'm pretty sure it's Stanislavski. Love the art in yourself, not yourself in the art. And it's, it's inspiring to me to be able to serve stories and to be a vessel mm-hmm. for whatever the world needs right now. And right now, the world needs to know Native American stories and history. And right now, the world needs to hear female voices mm-hmm. more than ever. And so I feel honored to be a part of that. That's awesome. Was there ever a time in your career that you felt challenged to give up or to do something else? I've never wanted to do anything else. I've, I've had advice. I've gotten advice from people my whole life. They, they always say, if you can do anything else other than be an actor, do that. Mm-hmm. Because you should only be an actor if it's the only thing that you feel joy doing. Mm-hmm. Not that we can't do other things that we love. Not that I don't have hobbies. I'm not sitting around <laughs> here doing monologues all day and scenes, yeah, right? <laughs> I'm just like at home doing monologues. Um, no, but it's, it's a very challenging path. So teachers and mentors and other artists and older actors have always spread that advice on. If you can do anything else, do that. I never wanted to do anything else. Mm-hmm. This was always what I wanted to do because in my mind, doing this means I get to do everything. Mm-hmm. Being an actor means I get to be 
every job in the world that I want to be mm-hmm. and every person if I want to. Yeah. Totally. But there's how, no limit. How do you how do you balance that though? So you're taking on these very heavy emotionally charged roles. Like I would be physically exhausted doing this. How do you how do you decompress and and stay balanced while taking this on? I feel really energized after every show. Mm-hmm. I want to run like a marathon, maybe not a marathon. I've done one. <laughs> That's 26.2. No, nope. maybe, maybe uh, a 10 K. Okay. I want to do a 10 K after every show. I have so much energy. Then I you're in the right spot. So alive. Um, but that being said, even though it gives me a lot of energy, a lot, even my solo show, I wrote a one woman show. And after the show every night, people would be like, how do you do that? Aren't you so tired? And I'm like, no, no, I feel great. Yeah. It's what I'm meant to be doing. It's not work. Then. It's not work. You're in your flow pocket. Exactly. That being said, though, with the content of this show and what it demands of me physically and emotionally, yeah, there, you have to do self-care and you have to balance that. And right now, our cast, we love each other so much. I mean, we're such a family. We spend every minute together. Like mm-hmm. when we're not on stage on our days off, we're like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and even after every show, we're like, do you want to go over to Jake's house? Jake Hart is so kind. One of our cast members, he plays my brother. Mm-hmm. He's very much like a brother to all of us. He invites us over and, and we just all connect and talk and laugh and it's wonderful. But I also have to balance that of like, okay, how much sleep do I need? Mm-hmm. How much exercise do I need? How much meditation do I need? How much journaling do I need? Mm-hmm. Because you do have to stay balanced and you can't just keep giving, giving, giving and not giving back yeah. to yourself with anything in life. I think that applies to any job. For sure. Anyone. You know, it's, it may seem more taxing because you saw the show and you know what it entails. Um, but I think that applies to everyone. I wish everyone would do that. Yeah. You know, my mom is a secretary for a lawyer and she works so hard. She's worked so hard her entire life. And she would always tell me, do what you love, do what you love, do what you love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She always told me, do whatever you love to do and follow your dream. And, but even for someone who hasn't had the privilege of doing what she loves, she needs that self-care. Sure. These nine to five jobs, you need it more than ever. Yeah. Going into that environment every day and maybe serving someone else's vision and not your own, you need even more self-care and self-love. Absolutely. I always say to people, when you feel the urge to react or go, the best thing you can do is absolutely nothing. I think that's great. Sit in the silence. Yes. We have a lot of distraction going on, lots of noise, lots of chatter, and silence, I think, is the best gift you could ever give to yourself. Absolutely. I'm reading Anger by Thich Nhat Hanh mm-hmm. right now. It's a really, really beautiful book about dealing with anger. And he speaks of anger as a baby. He treats it as a baby. If you had a baby crying in the corner, you wouldn't just leave it there. You would take care of it. And mm-hmm. we have to take care of our anger, just like we have to take care of our, our organs. If we have a stomach ache, we don't go, oh, I need a new stomach. <laughs> Like, let me get rid of this one. We're like, oh, let me take something or let me have some ginger ale or let me lay down. Let me take care of that part of myself. You said, because stay still. Okay. He talks about how we think it's good to vent about what makes us angry, Mm -hmm. to react, as you said. But all that does is just activate more of that energy. Mm -hmm. So the best thing to do is to just be whether you're taking care of yourself or you're processing a day after work, something that triggered you, you don't just flip out about it. If yeah. you sit with yourself and take if you hold the baby, you don't yell at the baby. Mm-hmm. Why are you feeling this way? Get over it. You hold the baby and you stay still. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. It's so interesting because it's like I see so many people just getting so hyped up and charged up about things. And so it's like, where's the trigger and the button getting pushed? Because this has absolutely nothing to do with anyone else. It's all about you. Yeah. And your experience that you're having with it. So it's cool to be angry. Like, if you want to be angry, be angry, but be ready to move on. Absolutely. Nobody wants to be around that. Yeah. And if you can turn your anger into something. Yeah. Get motivated by it. Like Mary Catherine Nagel. Rather than being angry that there aren't enough stories told by natives Mm -hmm. about natives. Because there are many stories about Native Americans, but they're also not told from the native perspective. So rather than getting angry about that, because what's the point of getting angry? We're we're doing things one step at a time. 
change moves very slowly. We know that. Mm-hmm. But Mary Catherine Eagle, she's working on five plays right now. Wow. At the same time in her laptop, she has five different plays that she's doing rewrites and edits to all at once. So rather than venting, she's creating. Yeah. That's interesting. So venting is a one-directional. Creating is a multi-directional. Absolutely. So creating, Absolutely. you're giving out, but taking in. So it becomes this, this recreation and this renewable resource. But venting, you're just giving all your power away. That's so true. I love that idea. Yeah, creating, it, it just keeps circulating, but in a positive way. Yeah, it's charging up. It's yes. getting more powerful the more you do it. Yes. It's like a convection oven. Totally. And the venting is just the push out of the heat. But it's very short term. Yeah, and it drains you of your energy. It's like a dragon. Yeah, and then you're Mm -hmm. done. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. And that's the choice. Um, But I will say there was a moment after November 9th, 2016, where I thought, what do I have to do with my storytelling? Do I have to become a lawyer? Because how can I help the country right now? Mm -hmm. I literally had that thought of... Mm -hmm do I have to become a lawyer? Because I thought, how, how do I really affect change in policy and in our government? What can I do? Mm-hmm. And then I was cast in Mary Catherine Nagel's play, Fairly Traceable, which is all about environmental law mm-hmm. and how climate change affects Native communities. Mm-hmm. And that was my form of protest. So yeah. that really solidified for me being an artist and an activist. I had always felt that way yeah. somewhere. I had always felt inspired by the work I was doing and the stories I was telling and the communities I was a part of and what they were doing and what yeah. we were all doing together. Yeah. But that was the moment where I was like, oh, okay. That was the missing piece. This is my form of resistance, yeah. right? Because it's not going to help me right now to go back to law school. And no. that's not going to help. But I can be on stage and change the narrative. And that can be my form but of resistance. you can resistance. play a lawyer. And I can play a lawyer. <laughs> and I've been playing them for two years straight now with Mary Catherine. That's so awesome. It's so awesome. <laughs> it's funny. Um, you mentioned that when I was in third grade, we had like these big um, worksheets where it was like, when I grow up, I want to be. And I said a lawyer. Didn't spell it right. Um, but I was like convinced I wanted to be a lawyer. And it's more of just having a powerful voice to make change happen. Absolutely. But there Lawyers- are other ways of doing it. Lawyers do amazing work. I mean, I'm in awe of them, and I'm in awe of Mary Catherine that she's not only a playwright, but she's a partner at Pipestem Law. That's insane. So when she's not flying in for rewrites and watching our dress rehearsals and our shows now, and when she's not speaking on panels nightly, I think she did like two or three panels this week, one of which was with the chief of the Eastern Band Cherokee, which wow. was such an honor to have him there. It was incredible, Chief Sneed. So, you know, when she's not doing all that, she's flying back to her practice in Oklahoma and fighting on the front lines for Standing Rock and for, you know, there's so many other cases that are going on in Indian law right now. Yeah. And she wrote the brief for Dollar General. Yeah. It was incredible. And that whole case was a was the fact that it was 4-4. Yeah. In the Supreme Court, everybody should look into that case. So if you could play any character in history, who would it be? Amelia Earhart is coming to me right now. I don't know why. I've never thought about that before. I'm very inspired by her story. MK's very inspired by her story too. We've talked about this. I don't know why she's coming into my mind. Um, but that would be an incredible adventure. I recently played Sacagawea in a workshop production of a, a new play that MK is working on. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible role as well. Um, these women in history that were the first to make these choices and to trailblaze and to prevail. I love stories like that. I love stories about women venturing onto paths that no one else has before. And now in in present day, we look at them and go, wow, they were so heroic and look at these wonderful things they did. And what were they feeling then? Yeah. Because they were just human. They were, they were just people. They weren't heroes. They were just doing what no one else. They were spitfires. Yes. Uncharted territory. Uncharted territory. 
What does that feel like yeah. when you're the first? I mean, the fact that we've only ever had four female Supreme Court justices. Bananas. I mean, I love when RBG talks about that. She came to see the show, too. She's so cool. She came to see the show recently. RBG. Oh, she's amazing. And she came backstage to compliment us on the performance. And we were just all in awe of her. We all became kindergartners. Like in the pictures, it looks like a kindergarten class picture. We're all so nervous and excited. But I love when she talks about uh, having women on the Supreme Court. And when people say, like, how many women will be enough women for you on the Supreme Court? And she said, well, when there's nine. Mm-hmm. And then when she said things like that, people respond like, what? That's not fair. That's not balanced. And yet we've had men all men, throughout the entire history of the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. all men, yep. until Sandra Day O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And no one ever said, oh, that's that's... Why are there only men? I mean, I'm sure many women said it. I'm sure there were some men too, but it wasn't this huge ordeal. Like, why? That's not balanced. So for her to want nine women, like, why not? What would the world look like? Yeah. I mean, uh, one of our speakers the other day was the president of the United Southern and Eastern Tribes. It's USET. I want to get the correct... um, what exactly what it is because off the top of my head I'm but he was the president of it and he said on the tribal council that he sits on it's all women Mm -hmm. yeah and nobody thinks twice nobody thinks twice about it and and look how communities can shift and grow when women are in power yeah you know and Cherokee women yeah Cherokee in Cherokee culture women were equal Mm mm-hmm And women were respected because of their roles as life givers and they Mm -hmm. had autonomy and they weren't shamed if they, if they divorced, there were, there wasn't shame and there was very little sexual assault or there was so much respect for women Mm -hmm. before the Europeans came. Yeah. The Europeans didn't even know what to do. And, and the, you know, colonizers didn't even know what to do when they saw how women were treated in Cherokee culture. Well, they knew what to do. They knew to silence it and get rid of it. Absolutely. Because it, it was their... a threat to yeah. men. Molly has commissioned, Molly Smith has commissioned um, plays for the Power Plays Initiative, which Sovereignty was one of them. And mm-hmm. I believe it's 25 new plays over the next mm-hmm. 10 years. And one of the ones she commissioned is all about the witch trials mm-hmm. and how they were the beginning of misogyny. So crazy. And I, I love that thought because female intuition and that power that we have and that men have as well. We all have it as humans. We mm-hmm. have intuition. But that extra power that women have as life givers mm-hmm. and as mothers, for men to say, that's witchcraft, when a woman felt something. That's nah, magic. Yeah, it is magic. <laughs> but for men to say that, to vilify it, to demonize it. Yeah. Suddenly there was power. They took they took the power away from women and they silenced it because they judged it. And I think that's they feared it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's what new America did to Native America. Mm-hmm. And so how do we start in our own home? We were talking about this before the podcast started of like how do we focus on our own backyards to start making the positive change mm-hmm. more powerful? Yeah, there's a quote by Mother Teresa, which I was paraphrasing before, and I'm probably still going to paraphrase <laughs> now, and everyone can look it up and, and get the exact quote. But she says something to the effect of, if you want to achieve world peace, go home and love your family. So it does start in the home, and it starts with your own circle, and then it starts with the circles of communities that aren't heard. And then it spreads and it has to continue to spread till we're all being listened to. Yeah. I I say to people, we all want two things in this world to be acknowledged and validated, seen and heard. That's it. Absolutely. And in the native American community to, to not be validated for hundreds upon hundreds of years when these treaties, there, you know, there have been over 500 treaties signed between Indian nations and America. And the Supreme Court, according to our Constitution, 
These treaties, once they are ratified by the Senate, they are the supreme law of the land. Mm -hmm. So for us to have a decision like Oliphant, which is the 1978 court decision that took away criminal jurisdiction from tribal nations on reservations, that decision made it possible for anyone who is non-native to go onto a reservation and commit a crime mm -hmm. and not be prosecuted for it, right? Yeah. So if we have a... Uh, um, if we have a, a court decision like that in place that completely defies the treaties we have signed, mm -hmm. even just the Treaty of New Echota, which the jurisdiction preserved for Cherokee Nation is entirely written in that treaty. If our own government isn't standing by their word and seeing and hearing and validating what they have said mm -hmm. to the Native American communities, how do we expect our community to do it? Right. You could see one change politically, societally, what historically, whatever it is. What do you think is if you could make one thing happen? I would see Oliphant overturned. If Oliphant was overturned, Indian nations would regain the ability to exercise criminal jurisdiction over non-Indians who commit crimes on tribal lands. Mm -hmm. If that could be overturned, Native people would be safer. Yeah. Because the fact that that huge loophole in the justice system is there makes Native women specifically and Native people a target every day yeah. because there are no repercussions and because there is no enforcement of the treaties that were signed and the laws that were put into place to protect them. So that, that would be my dream. So what is your superpower? My superpower is disarming people. I feel like no matter how angry or hostile or closed off somebody is, I've, I can connect to them. Does that make sense? Some yeah. people would say, that's not a superpower. Just stay no, away it... from those people. And of course, you have to have boundaries in life and not approach people who are scary. <laughs> but, you know... Yeah. But I'm not talking about scare. I'm t I feel like it's a superpower to be able to see the good in everyone and to see that any blockage or walls people put up are just fear. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of that as a superpower or one I'm cultivating. That's an awesome superpower. Yeah. I totally think that's a superpower and one that needs to be used more. Yeah. Rather than shutting off to that person or going, yeah, I take you at your word. You're that angry at everyone. I like to just connect and, and go deeper because yeah. everybody has a story and we don't know when they've been silenced or what led them to feel like they couldn't speak their truth, their yeah. vulnerable truth, that they could only speak their fearful truth. Yeah. What's That's your superpower? Oh, I, I didn't, I didn't expect to get it put back. Um, my superpower is, um, I am really good at seeing beyond surface level. So in cutting through bullshit really fast, like, so probably in about three seconds, I can see what people are up to. Um, and so that's based on people call that a snap judgment, but my intuition is spot on. So I know if someone has intentions for good or if they have intentions of, um, taking advantage or like, I can just kind of read body language really well and mm. all of that energy stuff. Like I, I pick up on things really quickly. So I have to be very careful on who I surround myself with because I take on energy and mm -hmm. I push out. Like you talk about the recycling so I have to watch it who I allow in mm -hmm. and then process through. But I'm really good at pinpointing where blocks are mm -hmm. to help people move through that are willing to. Yeah. So I read people. I like that. I have another one. What? I have another <laughs> one, and I think this is my leading one. That one's secondary to it, the disarming. My leading superpower is I can see people's potential. Mm. So I think because I've always known what I wanted to do since I was a kid and it's just been so easy for me of like, that's my dream and that's what I love to do. I was surrounded. I have a very loving, wonderful family, but I was surrounded by people who are very talented, but did not pursue their dreams. So for me, I've been around people with these extraordinary mm. gifts and they didn't use them. So when I meet people, I'm immediately like just after a few minutes of conversation with them, getting to know them, I'll be like, well, you're, you're so good at that. That's something you have to offer to the world. Why don't you do that? My passion is acting, mm -hmm. but my purpose is people and encouraging people. Gotcha. 
So I should be a professional um, talk show host. Oh yeah, let's do it, Oprah. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was going to say sit in the background and, and sit on a rocking chair while reading a Kindle. <laughs> well, see, I what we're referencing is Lauren's cameo in this video that Justin did, mm-hmm. and um, I just find you so compelling on screen, the way you listen and the way you're just present. And then this amazing podcast that you host, I think it's a combination, you see? So you're hosting, mm-hmm. and then your ability to listen, and my ability as an audience member to be so engaged with you. Those two things combined, I think you're an incredible leader and host and holder of space mm. for people and for energy and for positive conversation and for elevating humanity to the next level. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. It says on my business card, facilitator of awesomeness. See? Yeah. You're pretty smart. So that's You're spot it. on. That is your superpower. <laughs> you're, you're spot on. You're just reminding me, again, because we're talking about sovereignty and native communities. Earlier when I was saying, if we don't hear these stories, we don't realize that people need help. These Indian nations, Indian country has completely survived independently. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me is how they are starting to redefine themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and the chief of the Eastern Band Cherokee kept talking about the school systems they have in place and how they've, their hospitals and how amazing their hospitals are that the state of North Carolina has come. People, representatives from their hospitals have come to see what they're doing mm. at the Cherokee hospitals, because, the Eastern Band Cherokee hospitals, because their systems are running so efficiently. Mm. And so the state of North Carolina is working in harmony with the Eastern Band Cherokee and they're learning from each other and saying, you're doing this so well, we can learn from you. Yeah. So if we were to all do that, if all of America, if all the states that have reservations were to band together mm-hmm. and work as a, a cohesive unit and respect the sovereignty of these nations, we'd be creating a completely different story yeah. of the future of America. I'm excited about that. Me too, if it continues to happen. Yeah. I know it's happening on Indian country side mm-hmm. and on North Carolina side. In Cherokee culture, they celebrate not the accomplishments of the individual, mm-hmm. but how the individual has served the community. And the first and only female Cherokee chief was Wilma Mankiller, and she would talk about Wait, this. Wait, her, her last name was? Mankiller. Man killer. Yes, Wilma Mankiller. Wilma Man that is a badass name. She was amazing. Highly recommend watching interviews with her and reading books by her. She was just incredible. And best friends with Gloria Steinem. Just so, so much cool. awesomeness. <laughs> so much facilitation of awesomeness <laughs> happening there. Um and she would talk about how it's all about the community. Yeah. And what you have done to serve your community. And even the headdress that we were talking about earlier and how that's one of the most iconic images and how natives are kind of frozen in time in our mind. The headdress, I was researching it, and the headdress isn't about the warrior and their own accomplishments. Each eagle feather is given Mm. as a gift of gratitude for an act of self selflessness, Mm -hmm. an act of service, an act of humility, an act of grace, an act of honor on the battlefield. So those headdresses, they're not about the person wearing them. They are about each act of service that person has given to their community. Mm -hmm. So even the fact that in American culture, we can have headdresses on, you know, a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. I know that Natives are responsible for tobacco. So in some way, that's, that's claiming that and saying we, we honor that. But still, it's putting this sacred symbol mm-hmm. on a commercial product. Right. And it completely defies the purpose mm-hmm. of what that sacred symbol is. And the way that's used so much, it would be, I'm trying to think of, of something more relatable I guess in Catholicism, it would be like if we put Jesus on the cross on cigarettes or Jesus just selling everything with Jesus. 
Yeah. And that's so easy for people to go, oh my God, no, that's sacrilegious. You would never do that. But for native culture, because people don't understand it, they're like, what's the big deal if you wear a headdress at Halloween? Yeah. What's the big deal if a Victoria's Secret fashion model, you know, um, a Victoria's Secret model wears a headdress in a bikini? What's the big deal? Yeah. But they would never wear a cross, right? Because we, we understand that as Americans, because of our history books, because of... We understand that you don't do that. So without that narrative, sacred symbols... They're devalued. They're devalued. They're undermined. Mm -hmm. They're exploited. Yeah. So So, it sounds like there's a lot of education that needs to come into play. Absolutely. And it starts with our children. Because if if we... We have to educate ourselves as adults, as Mm -hmm. we all are doing in this room. (laughs) We (laughs) are doing it. (laughs) Hopefully other adults are doing it too. But... For children to really understand where that comes from. Yeah. I love that idea. I love, I love the headdress and how sacred that is. And Could how- you imagine in schoolrooms if kids made their own headdresses based on gratitude? I, like, I, got, I just got like the, arm, the hair on my arm just raised. Like if we started in a place of gratitude and each component of that headdress that that kid brings in to another rather than you know teasing or... And learning the culture, yeah. learning the learning history the behind it. it, and how can we apply it in the classroom. Yeah. That's huge. Because this country right now is all about the individual and the self. Mm-hmm. And that's not what this country started as. No. And if we could get back to that community, there'd be a lot more harmony in this world. That would be awesome. You know? And then we would be facilitating some serious We'd awesomeness. We'd be facilitating all of the awesomeness. All of it. <laughs> and getting to world peace and making Mother Teresa happy and Wilma Mankiller and all the people that all have come people. before us because we're standing on the shoulders of giants and now it's up to us because they're not here anymore. Some mm-hmm. of them still are. We have Mary Catherine Nagel. <laughs> she's I gotta my get hero her on for show. sure. Oh, she's incredible. Well, I almost hate to ask you this question because we've had like the positive train. But what is your kryptonite? I guess doubting myself is my kryptonite. I think whenever I I am trying to cultivate a life where I doubt my doubt. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's easier to listen to the one little doubt as opposed to the ten little positive Can thoughts I tell you dancing why? around. Why? Tell me. Because that's how your brain is constructed. So if you think about your brain as the machine to regulate your hormones Mm -hmm. and maintain homeostasis, when you start to live out of the norm and out of being small and safe, it sees it as a stress. So it creates these messages to keep you small and and in the constant state of homeostasis because it's, it's unknown and it's fearful of it. So the message is a creation from your brain to keep you in the same space. But that is actually a gift because then you know you're up to some big shit. Yes. Yeah. That reminds me of the Marianne Williamson quote. So this is a very long quote. It's often attributed to Nelson Mandela. It is not Nelson Mandela. It is Marianne Williamson. And it is from her book, A Return to Love. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We, are born to make, we were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine... We unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. Mm. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. That's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. And it reminded me, you reminded me of it in talking about how our brain is just trying to protect us from unknown territory, even if it's unknown, happy, wonderful territory. Uncharted Uncharted territory. territory. Again, through lines. Hello. (laughs) And, you know, no matter what you believe in, whether people don't believe in God, whether people believe in creator or spirit or the universe or Allah, Buddha, that applies to everyone. So I don't want to polarize anyone with that specific language. I want to throw that in there. I insert universe into that. That's my... Yeah. Whatever, whatever it is, that light was put here 
for all of us. Totally. So my kryptonite is when I, when I doubt myself Mm -hmm. and when I'm like, Ooh, just that, that thing that steps back instead of stepping forward and going, Mm -hmm. yes, yeah, you are worthy of this. Mm Mm-hmm. I saw this, I'm, I'm all about the quotes today and every day, really. Um, I saw a quote on a bathroom stall that has stuck with me. (laughs) That's awesome. I love this quote so much. And all it said was life is good and you are worthy of it. And it really moved me on this bathroom stall. I want to find that person and hug them. Yeah. Because people write many things on bathroom stalls, not always the nicest things. Sometimes you see some fun drawings. Sometimes (laughs) there's an inspiring quote. Most of the time, not so much. And I saw that and I thought, what would this world look like if we all believed Mm -hmm. that life is good and we are worthy of it? Yeah. Or what if we could go back to that? Because I feel like we all know it as kids. But once we can start questioning the source that doubted it, in the message that we heard, and we can get back to who we were as those bright, big-eyed children with all the hopes and dreams. Yeah. Get back to it. There's no doubt there as a child. And then when she talks about that in that quote, too, we're all meant to shine as children do. Children aren't saying, oh, this person is shining so I can't, Mm -hmm. or I shouldn't shine because then, you know, Toby won't be able to shine, or Sally won't be able. (laughs) (laughs) Sally and Toby won't be able to shine if I shine. It's like, no, it's like, oh, Toby's really good at playing sports and Sally's really good at reading and yeah you know it was funny I I was looking through pictures of when I was a little kid and I had kind of a, a crazy childhood like my parents divorced when I was four and I lived with my dad for eight years and became very like insular and you know my family will say that I was still an extrovert but it was very much like I just wanted to hide a lot mm-hmm. and I remember looking at this picture of me as a four-year-old um, at the height of the chaos like my mom had just moved out and I was sitting on this counter with a big boom box behind me and I have a dress on and I was obsessed with wearing dresses, even in the wintertime and I'd wear them with sweatpants. And I'm sitting on this counter with a cupcake in my hand and I'm looking up at the camera like I just got caught and I'm about to lick it. <laughs> and I'm like, that's who I was always meant to be of like this mischievous, fun loving, going after it, breaking the rules but doing it for like the fun and joy of just having that big toothless smile. Mm-hmm. But and to have that image and to get back to it, I think is what life is about. And this was post-divorce, yeah. right? So you were finding the sweetness in the sorrow. Mm-hmm. Totally. You were eating the cupcake. I don't even <laughs> eat cupcakes now. I can't have gluten. But oh, I was like, but I was man. like, man, I was really enjoying that icing. And I never liked cupcakes. I always liked the icing. Yeah. <laughs> Getting the sweetest part out of it. Yeah, but that's interesting. But it's like you have to be able to to uh, move back and see things as the big picture of like what is truth and what has been applied truth mm-hmm. of someone else's story and not my story yeah we all get to tell our own story luckily mm-hmm. and then there's some people in history that don't again Sacagawea I think of her we don't have any of her writings we don't know yeah. any uh, um we don't know about her experience directly during the Lewis and Clark expedition we do know that she was the second wife of the French fur trader mm-hmm. who sold her to the expedition without asking her. Mm-hmm. We do know that she did that entire expedition with a baby on her back, but we don't know her thoughts on it. Like no. what would she say? What was her perspective to do all that? How did she find the sweetness? How did she mother her child while being kidnapped and forced to lead this expedition and yet she still helped Lewis and Clark so much and she saved their supplies when they went overboard if it weren't for her they would have died on that expedition she knew the knowledge of the land and the plants and where to go she knew the Shoshone language to speak to the Shoshone to get horses for them but we don't know her story yeah again it's it's the Hamilton quote right who lives who dies who tells your story in that final song and so we're alive. We're so lucky we're alive right mm-hmm. now. We get to tell our story, our own stories. And the people that inspire us, we get to try to tell their stories in some way when other people try to capture them. Yeah. But we've got a lot of work to do, Lauren. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we've got so much responsibility. Totally. So if you to keep showing up, keep showing. Is that your piece of advice? Because I, I ask my guests this now of like, what one piece of advice or tip would you give to someone who's 
out there either trying acting or writing or just trying to live one piece of advice yeah keep showing up keep showing up with anything in life especially with acting it's all about persistence right it's about knowing that you have to stay on the path and keep working and no matter how many no's you hear which I hear many 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 no's to focus on the yeses and to keep multiplying the yeses and to keep doing the work it's all about the work to know that we're doing our best work and being our best selves every day that's all we can do and to get through the day with some grace yeah. If you got through the end of the day being kind to everyone, including yourself, and being the best you could be with the energy you have that day, the energy you cultivate that day, then you did your job. Because well, all we have is every day. Another quote I saw. <laughs> in the bathroom stall? Not in a bathroom stall, <laughs> but it was right before the bathroom stall. It was on this wall right outside the bathroom stall. It was like construction. It just said, life takes time. Mm. Who wrote this? I want to hug them. They wrote it into the construction panel wall, like carved it. And I think we're not taught that when we're younger. I think even as an actor, you just expect that you're either going to make it, whatever that means, or be a starving artist. And there's an in-between. There's a beautiful in-between of being a working artist, (laughs) creating your own work, sustaining your own spirit and your own craft. And it does take time. Mm-hmm. Life takes time. Love takes time. Being patient with your partner, being patient with your family and your friends and working through it. Mm. Knowing when to say no when yeah. those people shouldn't be in your life anymore. Because mm-hmm. that's okay too when you can love people but also let them go. Love know- them from afar. Exactly. Knowing when to say no to jobs that don't serve your ultimate vision. Yep. I always say if you're not saying hell yes, it's a no. Ooh, I like that piece of advice. Mm -hmm. If you aren't like hell to the yes. What? It's a no. That is so good. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take that with me. It's part of my triple D system of decision making. You You have a triple D system? Oh, yeah. So I wrote um, a blog post that's coming out in March called The 13 Entrepreneurial Pitfalls. And it's written in the format of a WebMD article. (laughs) So it's the source, symptoms, and remedy for all of the common pitfalls that people who are out there doing it on their own experience. So one of them is imposter syndrome, DIY-itis. So uh, one of them is like um, this myth about time that we are in charge of our schedules. Hmm. So we end up taking everything on and saying yes to everything. Uh So the remedy is the triple D, which is, is it doable? Actually, the first one is, is it desirable? Mm. Is it doable? And is it delegatable? So if it's not desirable, then you say no. If it's desirable, is it doable? Do you have the time and resources to do it? If you don't, but it's still desirable, can you delegate it to someone or can it wait? Hmm. If it's not doable, then that's when it goes to delegatable. Yeah. And if it's not delegatable, doable, or desirable, then it's a no. But it has to fit onto the desirable and the doable to get a hell yes. I love that. I love that. One of our cast members, Kalani Kuipo, who you saw, who played my great-great-great-grandfather, John Ridge, he said the other day, do things, don't do things that make you feel good. Do things that make you feel accomplished. Mm. And I wanted him to explain that because at first I'm like, well, of course we want to do things that make us feel good. What do you mean? And he said, you don't, you don't only want to be doing things that in the moment as you're doing them, you're like, this feels good. I feel like I'm a working actor. So I said yes to this play. Mm-hmm. I said yes to this film. Or I said yes to this, this role because it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. When you could be using that time to write what you need to write mm-hmm. or cultivate a project that you needed to cultivate that it's not going to feel good while you're doing it. It's going to feel like pulling teeth, writing, or doing whatever you need to do, that daily work that... Mm-hmm. We all need to do mm-hmm. whatever our paths are, whatever our careers are. But at the end of it, when you've got that script in your hands that you've written, mm-hmm. or when you've got that film you've made or that book you wanted to write, you'll feel accomplished. Yeah. So, so often I find that we, I, or I, I sometimes will choose things that I feel good. I'm like, I'm busy and I'm working. Mm. The busy word. Yep. Mm-hmm. But do I feel accomplished? Because there's that other thing in the back of my mind that I know needs to be done. Yeah. Well, I always say to people, what you avoid most is what you need to do most. I'm loving this. (laughs) 
your audience is getting so much good advice today. So We're just like, nuggets. this is like, what is this? Like, um, ping pong. Yeah. Like back Valley and forth. Preserve. Like, yes, yes. Just yeah. advice for advice. I would, I would respond to what he said though, depending on what your values are. So some yes. people are achievement based. Mm-hmm. Some people are service based. Some people are balance based. Some people are financially based mm-hmm. in what motivates and drives them. So when I coach people, I usually start out in understanding what their foundational values are and what it means to them. Mm-hmm. So if you do something and you're like, hell yes, tell me what value it's in alignment with. Yeah. And if you're saying no, where is it out of alignment? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's the mindset that you're looking at it, or maybe it's the approach that you're taking or the source that you're receiving it from. Yeah. But why is it a yes and why is it a no? And how, like is, how is it, how is it energizing or pulling away from you? Yeah. Cause I don't, I think that when you have that immediate response, it's not all thought out. It's very reactionary. Mm-hmm. That is usually something that's, um, immediate gratification based. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's great. It's like, yeah, I'm hungry. I want to eat here it is, but is it going to help you in the long run? Like exercise. Mm-hmm. You take forever to get to the gym or do whatever you need to do. And it's so much easier to eat that cupcake Mm -hmm. in the kitchen on the counter and have a really (laughs) cute picture of you taken. But ultimately you feel so good when you do that thing you needed to do. Yeah. And sometimes we can trick ourselves by doing work that is in our field. That's keeping us away from our Mm. our higher potential. Yes. Because it's like, oh, I'm doing this thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's okay. Yeah. I'm working. And then it's like, oh, but wait, didn't you have to do, you know, like, I'm trying to think of examples. It's, it's interesting you bring that up. My friend was telling me about a speaker she saw, and she was talking about the bankruptcy pyramid. Mm. And so as coaches, um, there's this, you know, we have to get our own clients, and, like, you've got to be putting yourself out there. Yeah. But you get caught in this trap of, I have to create content all the time. But if you don't have an audience, and you don't have people and decision makers buying in then mm-hmm. you're wasting your time so you're creating all this content and making yourself go bankrupt in mm-hmm. energy mm-hmm. so that when you're ready to serve you're not there so we actually are like flipped upside down in what we need to be doing yeah and i haven't heard the talk of this woman and i need to figure out her name but it makes total sense and this was the pitfall that i put myself into where i was just being busy mm-hmm. creating content making videos writing ebooks all these things and i wasn't seeing any benefit from it i did a hundred day blog challenge Wow. I did it to break out of writer's block, which I was successful at doing, but I was spending all of this energy thinking, if I build it, they'll come. And it's like, but if you're not getting in front of people and showing them why they should care, yeah, then does it really matter? Yeah. So it's like you can keep it to yourself and create, but you can't assume that your intended result will happen if you're missing the pieces of getting in front of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about being selective with Mm -hmm. your time and your energy and your vision. Yeah. I think that that's a good thing. No is the most powerful word you have in this world. My friend uh, the other day was saying the jobs you say no to are just as important as the jobs you say yes to. Absolutely. They're determining your whole career and your path. Yeah. I just had lunch with a friend and... uh, She's like, yeah, so I didn't get this job. And I was like, well, tell me more. She started telling me all the red flags. I'm like, they did you a favor. She's like, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm like, so why are you bummed about this? Yeah. I was like, it's much better if you say no to it. And in fact, why didn't you say no to it? Why did you wait for them to tell you no? Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like, Mm. be worthy of the no. Absolutely. And know that every job interview and every audition you go on, as lucky and privileged as you may be, not lucky, but as much as you've worked hard to be there and you're fortunate to be meeting those people, they're fortunate to be meeting you. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to know our worth in this world. Yeah. That's where the alignment, I think, comes in of like when you are truly on your path and you're in alignment with your goals, your dreams, your beliefs, your, everything is lining up. You don't make excuses. You don't apologize. There are zero fucks to give. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. It's not about walking in with any hesitation. So whether they say yes or no, it's meant to be. Certainty is a beautiful thing. I think kids are very certain. Mm -hmm. I love how certain they are. Yeah. And we were talking about going back to that part of you that knows. Because the older we get, 
And the more we quote unquote know, the less we know. Yeah. Instead of that confidence we had as kids of like, I know. Yeah. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know where I'm supposed to be. I know I want that kind of cookie Mm -hmm. and not that kind. I know I like broccoli and I know I don't like Brussels sprouts. You know, like whatever you're certain about as a kid, we need to take that certainty with us as young women. But still eat all of our vegetables. Yes, eat all the vegetables. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like, what are the things you inherently know to be true about yourself? What are you certain of? Yeah, I started, um, I put together, it it struck me, I was putting together a a presentation on on confidence building for women who are kind of mid-level in their career. And I came up with this idea called the inner strut. And so if you look at the way construction happens, it happens from a triangle. It's the strongest shape that exists. Mm-hmm. And so this cross beam is called the strut. So you have a triangle and then the connector at each of those angles is the strut. So it is the structural element that reduces stress and pressure. Hmm. So if the we can, strut. your inner strut. So you can think about the way you enter a room or you can think about the actual support system and structure you have in what you know inherently true about yourself. I can't wait to read your book. <laughs> I have to write it. You will. <laughs> I know. I started writing two books and then I stopped and then I wrote a lot, but I, it's coming forth about like what it is in, I, I feel like you're the, already writing it. Yeah. You're already writing it in all of these ideas you're having and putting down on paper. The inner struts a chapter. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I have answers over here. I was right about you set. Okay. President of you who I referenced earlier. It is the United South and Eastern tribes. It's a ma- um, USET plays a major role in the self-determination of all member tribal nations. It works to improve the capabilities of tribal governments. I want people to know what that is. I also want them to know about the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center, where they can learn more about how to help indigenous women. Cool. Send me these links, too, because I'm going to put them in the show notes. Okay. Well, I have learned a ton, and this has been like a history lesson, a future lesson, a reflection uh, lots of good stuff on the personal accountability and the societal and community accountability that I think we all need to take part in. So Kyla Garcia, thank you so much for joining me on the Spitfire podcast. Fellow Rutgers alum, are you rah-rah? Yes. And for all of the Spitfires out there, keep being awesome. <laughs>